Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Afternoon Bible Study. Today will be study number 5 in Joel chapter 2. And we're going to be reading Joel 2 verses 4 and 5. The appearance of them is as the appearance of horses, and as horsemen, so shall they run. Like the noise of chariots on the tops of mountains shall they leap. Like the noise of a flame of fire that devoureth the stubble, as a strong people set in battle array. And I'll stop reading there. We're continuing looking at this chapter that is describing Judgment Day as God is picturing it as the approach of a mighty army, and that army represents his kingdom. It represents uh, the kingdom of heaven. And the army is comprised of all of God's people, of all the elect. Of course, they're, uh, they're headed up by the Lord Jesus Christ. And even though Christ... Um, is not so much in view as this army is um, destroying everything in its path. Elsewhere, we know that that God tells us that it is Christ who is the judge. Jesus is the one that comes with ten thousands of his saints. And here in Joel 2, God is, at, at least for these uh, opening verses focusing in on the great army, the 10,000 saints. And that's who the appearance of is as the appearance of horses. Now, horses in the Bible can identify with strength. And uh, and, and if you have an army with a uh, great many horses and horsemen, you have a mighty army. and And that's the idea that God is conveying, that he's getting across, that this army is a tremendous force, and especially as we read of the numbers of the army in other places, but but let's go over what we've discussed before, because God is going over it, he's the one uh, bringing up horses here, and horsemen, so we want to be reminded of what the Bible says about that in connection with Judgment Day and the people of God. And so let's turn to Revelation chapter 19, where uh, Christ is pictured himself as being on a white horse in verse 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. The Lord typifies Judgment Day as a battle, a warfare between himself and Satan and his kingdom. And uh, in Revelation 19, the two mighty armies are, are meeting on the battlefield. And again, that battlefield is the landscape where it's the time of the final judgment of mankind. 
And it says in verse 14, And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And earlier in Revelation 19, in verse 8, we're told that um, of the bride to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. The bride of Christ, who we know is um, made up of everyone that God saves, has a righteousness that is derived from the righteousness of Christ. It purifies her, cleanses her from all sin, makes her uh, pure and white. And notice how God says that it's the righteousness of saints. As we mentioned earlier, that Christ comes with ten thousands of his saints, it says in the epistle of Jude. And here they are, these armies in heaven that follow him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, which is the righteousness of saints. So the saints are judging the world with him. And then um, in the following verses, the, the battle is described and the defeat of Satan and his forces as their uh, Satan is cast into the lake of fire. And uh, ultimately, that's the fate of every unsaved individual within the kingdom of heaven. Now, earlier in Revelation, in Revelation chapter 9, uh, we find again a chapter dealing with Judgment Day. And in this chapter, God is speaking of his people as um, they are presented in the form of locusts. And locusts um, swarm in great multitudes. And that's the idea. This is the entire company of the saints, which may number as many as 200 million in actuality, and so it's an enormous number of people that God has saved. And so the locusts um, are typifying them. And we read uh, concerning the locusts in Revelation 9, verse 7, And the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared unto battle, and on their heads were, as it were, crowns like gold, and their faces were as the faces of men. So the shapes of the locusts, God says, are like unto horses prepared unto battle. Exactly the the language um, minus the locusts that we find in Joel chapter 2. The appearance of them is as the appearance of horses, and as horsemen so shall they run. And notice that the locusts have crowns like gold. And, and that would indicate a crown identifies with royalty or a king and these are spiritual kings that the crown points to salvation the crown of wisdom and the the crown that God gives to everyone that he saves and and so the multitude of locusts are identified with the true believers that are going forth bringing torment in the five months period of judgment in that five months period is a spiritual figure to represent the entire duration of judgment day. 
the the complete period of judgment if we're correct which will be 1600 days well the uh, the army of god these locusts are bringing destruction just as in Joel 2 as that army goes forth remember as the as the garden of eden before them but a desolate wilderness behind them and also in revelation 9 god changes the picture from the locusts to a great multitude and he does it because it's the same teaching what the locusts accomplished in going forth destroying well so too do 200 million as we read in verse 14 of revelation 9 saying to the sixth angel which had the trumpet loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And that would be representative of Babylon, to be bound in Babylon. That's where the Jews were in captivity, where God commanded his people to go to Babylon to spiritually enter into captivity, to come out of the church and go to the world. And then it says in verse 15, And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour, and a day, and a month, and a year, for to slay the third part of men. And the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000 thousand. That's 200 million. And I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision, and them that sat on them, having breastplates of fire, and of jacinth and brimstone. And the heads of the horses were as the heads of lions. And out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone horsemen and horses exactly as Joel 2 but here it, it, it there's no doubt they are picturing all of the elect 200 million and that's the destructive army that are bringing forth fire and brimstone it issued out of their mouths because the word of God comes out of the mouths of the people of God and it is God's word as the book of Isaiah tells us that as God breathes forth he he kindles brimstone the word of God brings the spiritual fire of judgment day that spiritually burns up the wicked people of the world and destroys them and and there they are. There's the armies of heaven as Revelation 19 pictured them that they were clothed in fine linen, which is the righteousness of the saints, the, the 200 million saints. Everyone that God has saved throughout all the history of the world come together to form this tremendous army of the kingdom of heaven. And they're all together whether in heaven or on earth still, as that great multitude God saved out of great tribulation form a majority of this 200 million, but there are others that are not living on the earth in the day of judgment, they're in heaven, yet they're also a part of the army because it was through the formation, the joining together of... uh, all Israel, saving the last of the elect, that God 
was able to judge the world. That is, they became instrumental in the judgment through the completion of their salvation. And that's one of the primary ways God is judging the world today. And that's why he speaks of Jacob being a battle axe in his hand in the book of Jeremiah. And also in Jeremiah, while we're on the topic of horses, let's go to Jeremiah chapter 50. Jeremiah 50. And we'll read verses 41 and 42. Behold, a people shall come from the north, and a great nation, and many kings shall be raised up from the coasts of the earth. Now the the people historically that came from the north to destroy Babylon were the Medes and the Persians. But spiritually God is here referring to those that he has saved. Because they were in captivity in Babylon, which is in the north, and they came out of their captivity, and they are the army, they're this people that God is speaking of, and and notice that he confirms that when he says, many kings shall be raised up from the coast of the earth, and God's people are prophets, priests, and kings, spiritually. And it says in verse 4-2, They shall hold the bow and the lance. They are cruel and will not show mercy. Now normally that is not the way we would think of the people of God. We we were uh, called upon and, and God commanded we go into the world and and we share the gospel in the day of salvation and that was uh, a definitely uh, a way of expressing mercy and love to our fellow man. It was a display of kindness, not cruelty. And it was done um, for those reasons. Yet, since there is no more salvation, because God has shut the door of heaven and put out the light of the gospel so that no man can now be saved, well, the gospel message to the unsaved is a cruel message because it brings no mercy. And and we, we cannot show mercy, even if we would desire to do so, which we would, yet we cannot. It, it's as was said to the rich man in hell, that they which would pass from hence to you with a drop of water cannot. They are not able. There is no ability to do it. When God has shut the door, no man can open, even if we would desire for it to be open. And certainly we would for our own family, for those we know and care about. We would desire it even for a stranger. That's the nature of a child of God is to desire that others be saved. We uh, we want the best for people, yet at, uh, we we cannot do what uh, what only God can do. And if God will not do it, then uh, we can only share what the Bible says. And God has said that at the time when the door shuts. And people knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. That 
He will not open. Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. The God has no intention of reopening the door once it has shut in this final time of judgment on the world. Well, it also says, And they will not show mercy. Their voice shall roar like the sea, and they shall ride upon horses. Everyone put in array like a man to the battle against thee, O daughter of Babylon. And we we can see how that fits with what we're reading here in Joel 2. And, and remember what the next verse says, Like the noise of chariots on the tops of mountains shall they leap, like the noise of a flame of fire that devoureth the stubble, as a strong people set in battle array. And it it is the final battle, this battle that has raged all through time since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, the battle of God and his kingdom against Satan and his kingdom of darkness. And, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ wins the battle, has won the battle. Satan's already defeated and God has put him down and deposed him, and uh, it, it's only a matter of time before the final, ultimate destruction of annihilation um, destroys everything that has been tainted with sin, this creation, and all the unsafe people in it. Well, um, now Joel 2 also says that the appearance of them is as the appearance of horses, and as horsemen, so shall they run. And uh, we have discussed what the Bible um, spiritually points to when it speaks of running, but let's do it again. Uh, for instance, God speaks of this word running in Psalm 147. Psalm 147 and verse 15. And it says there, He sendeth forth His commandment upon earth. His word runneth very swiftly. God's word runneth very swiftly. Well, how does God accomplish the sending forth of His commandment on the earth? Well, He he accomplishes it through his people who carry his word. And if his word runneth very swiftly, then the people of God must run with it. And and it says in Psalm 119, in verse 32, I will run the way of thy commandments when thou shalt enlarge my heart. And to have your heart enlarged here points to becoming saved once God saves a person, what did he do? Remember, angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man, as we read in John chapter 1. And the ascension is at the point of salvation, where we're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, and immediately commissioned and sent forth back to earth during the day of salvation, to carry the gospel message to others. We 
run the way of God's commandments. Now we're a messenger of God. We want to do the will of God. And that that would be in going with the gospel. It, it has to do with other things, practical things. Whatever God commands, we want to fulfill and obey and and to do what he has said. And so we desire to to go in that direction to uh, you know there's uh walking and the bible uses that figure too uh to walk in truth to walk in the commandments of god and then there's running i i guess we could say that running expresses a great desire to do it because when somebody says to you uh, uh go get me um, a cup of water and you walk and you, you obediently get a cup of water for the one who sent you. You obeyed. Yes, you did what you were told. But when you run and you, you, uh, run to get that water and run to bring it back to the one who sent you, there, there is the idea of even greater desire to do it. A greater uh, desire to please the one who sent you. And that's what God's people desire to do for the Lord Jesus Christ. Out of love. And remember, if you love me, keep my commandments. And, and so God's people love the Lord Jesus Christ and want to run the way of his commandments. As he tells us now to feed his sheep, well, we we uh, we want to run in that direction that God would have us to go. Now also, in Habakkuk chapter 2, God speaks of running, and it's in association with his commandments. In Habakkuk 2, I'll start reading in verse 1. It says, I will stand upon my watch, and set me upon the tower... And will watch to see what he will say unto me, and what I shall answer when I am reproved. And what is a believer's watch post? It is in the Bible. We watch in the scripture. We, um, we're reading the Bible, studying the Bible, carefully checking the Bible to see what God would say to us. And God said, Seal up the word till the time of the end. And at the time of the end, for those that were watching faithfully, the watchmen, they would see the sword approach because God lifted the seals, removed the seals from his word, and showed his plan of times and seasons regarding the judgment on the church and the judgment on the world. The watchmen faithfully watching in the word of God, then, at that point, see the sword approach and blow the trumpet to warn others. And and that's the idea here in Habakkuk 2, verse 1, and then in verse 2, it says, And Jehovah answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables, that he may run that readeth it. And tables um, relates to the Ten Commandments were written on tables of stone. So write the vision. That would mean it's scripture. 
the word of God, make it plain upon tables. To make something plain means it's no longer hidden or veiled. It's no longer sealed up. It, it, it now is understandable. And when you understand it, that he may run that readeth it. As we read in Matthew 24. And isn't that a very significant spot for God to make this statement? In Matthew 24, it says in verse 15, When ye therefore shall see, and that's not with physical eyes, but with eyes of understanding, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, Stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand, then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains, and to flee you run. So uh, the, the word becomes understandable because the time of the end is reached. God opens up the eyes of his people to discern time and judgment. The wise understand. And with understanding comes running the way of God's commandments. We, we, um, as it says here, that he may run that readeth with comprehension, with understanding, with that ongoing desire to do the will of God. And God's people read that in Matthew 24 and left the church and got out as quickly as they could once they understood. They fled to the mountains, to God himself and to his word. And then it says in Habakkuk 2.3, For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak. Now I'm going to replace the uh, pronoun with the masculine because it should be replaced with the masculine because it's speaking of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is a he. But at the end he shall speak, and not lie, though he tarry, wait for him, because he will surely come. He will not tarry. Now we we know that God has tied in this language in the book of Hebrews with our present time. Uh, it was one of the earlier passages we went to after May 21, 2011, uh, because God there uh, said something very interesting. He said in Hebrews 10.36, For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. And the, to do the will of God, it, well, to do the will of God is an ongoing thing. How could we have done it past tense? We did the will of God in evangelizing the world, in blowing the trumpet and getting the message out, to all the earth prior to May 21, 2011, to the Day of Judgment. And then, once having done that will of God, there's a need of patience. And patience is related to testing in the Bible. The trying of your faith worketh patience. And and so, during Judgment Day, it was God's plan to try His people severely to bring them through the fiery trial testing their faith during a very likely 1600 days of judgment which breaks down to 40 times 40 
the number of testing. And then it says here in Hebrews 10.37, For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. And so God tarried and yet does not tarry. And the way of understanding that, the way that fits perfectly, is that he apparently tarried on May 21, 2011, but no, he did not. And he apparently tarries now, but he is not tarrying because he came in judgment. He will complete the judgment. All right, well, let's look at um, another place where the word run is used, but it's not translated as run. It's translated as post, P-O-S-T-S, post, like a postman, and the postman um, undoubtedly gets his name from um, from Scripture, such as we're going to read in the book of Esther, as posts are sent by the king, they're the king's runners, and they would carry news to all the king's provinces. And in the book of Esther, the king Ahasuerus ruled over 127 provinces. And uh, remember that the number 127 is only used in the Bible in one other place, and that was in relationship with Sarah and her death age of 127. And Sarah is a, a used by God to typify the the true believers. And so King Ahasuerus, ruling over 127 provinces, pictures God the Father who rules over all the true believers. Well, we we know the story in the book of Esther that Haman, who is a figure and type of Satan, uh, Esther says of him, the enemy and adversary is this wicked Haman. And the, the name Satan means adversary, so uh, Haman, for a time, is lifted up in the kingdom of Ahasuerus, uh, where he has a great place of authority and rule, and just as God lifted up Satan to rule over the churches during the time of the Great Tribulation, when judgment began at the house of God. And Haman also desires that all of the Jews be put to death. And he speaks with the king, and he pays to the king's treasuries a great sum in order that he can destroy all the Jews. And we read in Esther 3, 13 through 15, And the letters were sent by posts, or runners, into all the king's provinces to destroy to kill and to cause to perish all Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day, even upon the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month of Dar, and to take the spoil of them for a prey, the copy of the writing for a commandment to be given in every province was published unto all people that they should be ready against that day. The posts went out, being hastened by the king's commandment, and the decree was given in Shushan the palace, 
And the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city Shushan was perplexed. Now, the the date of the 13th day of the 12th month is selected by lot, and that points to the final judgment. As the number 12 points to fullness, and 13 to super fullness, and we know that it is God's plan to destroy the world after 13,000 years of history, when when we follow the number 13 in the Bible, it often points to judgment, the final judgment of the world. And, and so a date is selected that points to judgment day. And posts, runners, go forth publishing this date. This ties in with the time of the latter rain, when God opened up the information from his word, the Bible, that May 21, 2011 would be the appointed day of judgment. And and, and so all the world was warned. The, the runners of God, the posts, um, the messengers of God, the true believers, carried forth that information to all the nations. There was prophesying in declaring forth the word of God to all the peoples of of the earth. Now, it's interesting that in the book of Esther, following this, Haman is uh, hanged after Esther holds a banquet for him and, and pleads with the king, her husband, King Ahasuerus, uh, concerning Haman's evil plot to kill all the Jews and Ahasuerus hangs him. Haman is hanged on the 17th day of the second month and that day is is the underlying Hebrew calendar day of May 21, 2011 the 17th day of the second month is the day the flood began in the days of Noah and 7,000 years later on May 21, 2011 it was the equivalent date and and the day God shut the door of heaven, it was Judgment Day. Haman happens to be hanged on that very day. And, of course, it's no coincidence. God is indicating that Haman comes under the judgment of God. And then there's time after that in the book of Esther uh, because there's that future date of the 13th day of the 12th month, Purim, in which the Jews have been... Uh, selected to be killed and and so Esther intercedes once again to the king to turn the wicked devices of Haman that something might be done and Mordecai a type of Christ is also lifted up in place of Haman to rule over his house and and, and so all this does uh, wonderfully picture what happened on May 21, 2011, spiritually, Satan was put down just as Haman was hanged. Christ was exalted just as Mordecai is lifted up over the house of Haman. And and something also relates to this time. Posts are sent again. A second group, a, a second um, time of prophesying or of runners going forth. Uh, 
uh, went out after Haman was hanged, after Mordecai was exalted to rule over the house of Haman. We read in Esther chapter 8, it says in verse 9, Then were the king's scribes called at that time in the third month, that is the month Sivan, on the three and twentieth day thereof, and it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded unto the Jews, and to the lieutenants and the deputies and rulers of the provinces, which are from India unto Ethiopia, a hundred twenty and seven provinces, unto every province according to the writing thereof, and unto every people after their language, and to the Jews according to their writing, and according to their language. And he wrote in the king Ahasuerus's name, and sealed it with the king's ring, and sent letters by post, runners again, on horseback. Now, remember what we were looking at where we started in Joel 2. The appearance of them is as the appearance of horses, and as horsemen, so shall they run. And here in Esther, a second period of prophesying or of the king Ahasuerus permitting and and Mordecai sending forth posts, runners on horseback which would relate to God's people going forth on horseback in the time of judgment day. And and remember the the second um sending forth of these runners or these posts relates to what we read in Revelation chapter 10 in uh, verses 10 and 11. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up, and it was in my mouth sweet as honey, and as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again, before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. It is the second period of prophesying. God had his people go, or another period of prophesying. God had his people go forth, sharing the gospel unto salvation, and God worked through that to save a great multitude. But now he commands, feed my sheep. And he also commands, to Babylon, publish these things and say Babylon is taken and Bel is confounded. And, and so God's people are commanded to share the Bible's truth, the teaching of the word of God, which will serve to feed all those that God has saved as sheep and serve to publish the news of judgment day to all those that are not saved. And in other words, we're sent forth again. We're sent forth after Satan has been put down, after Christ has been exalted to rule with a rod of iron, in this period of judgment day, in these days after the tribulation, we are commanded. There, There's no getting around that. You don't have to obey. You don't have to listen to God. You can disregard it. Uh, that's your your option. That that's according to how you respond to God. Uh, but the Bible 
is insistent that this is the program for this period of time after the tribulation in the day of judgment and um, maybe you don't want to do it maybe you don't even want to walk after God's commandments um, in in this regard let alone run the way of his commandments yet uh, we uh, we just have to tell you and share what the Bible says and and God in numerous places now in uh, Revelation when he sends the sickle or he thrusts in his sickle to reap and we are the reapers gathering and we are the ones that are um, said to publish these things and so forth just in in many places they all fit together they all harmonize and is it that we're um, forcing this? No. As we look at these things and all these scriptures come together and fit, that indicates truth. That indicates the teaching of the Word of God. That uh, all the Bible is harmonizing. It's fitting together and, and declaring this. Okay, well, again, in Esther 8, verse 10, he sealed it with the king's ring and sent letters by post on horseback and riders on mules, camels, and young dromedaries, wherein the king granted the Jews, which were in every city, to gather themselves together and to stand for their life, to destroy, to slay, and to cause to perish all the power of the people and province that would assault them both little ones and women, and to take the spoil of them for a prey. Now, isn't that something that God is speaking to the Jews? And he's not speaking to false prophets. He's not speaking to um, a, a people that were not his people. He's speaking to his people at that time historically, the Jews, and they represent the people of God. And what is God telling them that they are to do, or what are they granted? It's given to them. This is what they are to do. The purpose of God in in sending forth these runners with this information from the Bible is they are to stand for their life. They are to cause or to destroy, to slay, to cause, to perish. Remember what we read in Jeremiah 50? They are cruel and without mercy. It is judgment day. It is a different focus of the gospel than than ever before because there is no more salvation. And, and we are judging the world with Christ. No, we don't ever point the finger at any one person in, in any sort of judgmental way. We're judging the world with him through declaring what the Bible says, through sharing what the Bible is teaching at this time. And that information will destroy, it will slay, it will cause to perish all the power of the people of the enemy, and and so forth. It is a spiritual battle 
that is going on. And it goes on to say here in verse 12 of Esther 8, Upon one day in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, namely upon the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month Adar, the copy of the writing for a commandment to be given in every province was published unto all people, and that the Jews should be ready against that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. So the posts that rode upon mules and camels went out, being hastened and pressed on by the king's commandment, and the decree was given at Shushan the palace. And uh, here God is is just confirming once again his program for our present time period and and why why feed the sheep why send out a gospel that cannot save well look at verse 16 and 17 of Esther 8 the Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor and in every province and in every city whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a good day, and many of the people of the land became Jews, for the fear of the Jews fell upon them. And you see, for the Jews, this was wonderful news. This was glorious news. This was everything they could have hoped for. It was uplifting and and greatly encouraging. They They had been in severe tribulation and trials and affliction and they had uh, just this horrible date that that was troubling them so and the date was turned from something evil to something wonderful the king was on their side Haman was gone the enemy of the Jews was defeated Mordecai a Jew reigned over the house of Haman. Can you see how the news, the news, May 21, 2011, was Judgment Day. Satan was defeated on that day. Christ was exalted and reigns over all that Satan previously reigned over is glorious news. It's wonderful news for the one that God has saved. Yes, you did hear the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. My sheep hear my voice. You were correct in believing that day was Judgment Day because it was. The the Bible did proclaim correctly that day was the day of judgment and all these things serve to comfort to edify, to strengthen the hearts of the elect people of God. Of course, the non-elect, the unsaved, they're not going to be comforted by it. They're, oh no, oh no, they're, they'll be greatly troubled by it. But it is not God's program to comfort the enemies of his kingdom. It is not God's plan to provide some sort of solace to to those that are in their sins, that have raised their hands against him in rebellion. This is judgment day. God isn't concerned with how they perceive things. 
He is only concerned with his sheep, and that is his direction to us. Feed my sheep. Three times to indicate his purpose for these days after the great catch of fish comes in. Feed my sheep. And three times, Simon Peter, lovest thou me? Lovest thou me? Lovest thou me? Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. Feed my sheep. That's the true indicator. Words are cheap. Anybody can say they love God, and millions of people do. But action, doing, running the way of his commandments, well, that's a different story. That is evidence, if we love him, keep his commandments. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.